0: Genesis 15, 1-6 is the sermon text for today. Romans 4, 1-12 is the New Testament reading. This is a very important passage. Do I say that every week? I think I do. Uh, so let's give our attention now to the reading of God's most holy word. After these things, that is, after Abram's victory there in rescuing Lot, and after being blessed by And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Turn now to Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Here Paul interprets and uh, applies the, the very passage that we have just read. Romans 4, verse 1. Paul writes, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness." Is this blessing, Paul asks, then only for the circumcised, that is for the Hebrew, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentile? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before He was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also Walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So far the reading of God's most holy word. May the Lord help us now to understand the preaching of the word and to apply this scripture to our daily lives. One of the most important questions that a person can ask is, How can I be made right with God? This question assumes something though, doesn't it? It assumes that men and women are not naturally right with God. Many people never ask the question, how can I be made right with God, because they do not believe that there is anything wrong between them and God. Uh, This view takes different forms. Some people do not believe that God exists. So to them there is not a God to have a right or wrong relationship with, and these people will never ask the question, how can I be made right with God, unless their belief in the existence of God changes And many others who do believe in the existence of God do not ask the question because they assume that they and God are on good terms. They think they are basically good and that God is generally pleased with them just as they are. But what do the Scriptures say? Uh, The Scriptures teach from beginning to end that God exists, that He is holy and just, and that all have sinned against Him. And will one day stand before him to be judged. This is the clear and consistent teaching of Holy Scripture from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. I could set very many passages before you to make this point, but allow me to put one before you. From Paul's letter to the Romans, there he asks, What then? Are we Jews any better off than you who are not Jewish? Uh, Those are my words, not his, than you who are not Jewish, but you understand And then his answer is, no, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The teaching of Scripture is very clear. None is righteous, no not one, not since the fall. And it is for this reason that I say one of the most important questions that men and women ought to ask is, how can I be made right with God? As I have already pointed out, many never bother themselves with this question. But among those who do ask it, different answers will be found. To the question, how can I be made right with God? Some will say, by doing good deeds. These know that they have sinned against the Lord, but they assume that they can make up for it by doing enough good. This is a very common view, isn't it? Uh, many think this way. And another is very much like it. Some will answer, saying, I can be right before God by keeping His law. It's similar, but a bit distinct. If they will only live righteous before God from this day forward, then God will accept them, or so they think. And still others hope to find the cleansing of their sins through ritual or ceremony. And so each of these approaches does differ a bit but they share one thing in common. Each find the solution to the need for a right relationship with God within themselves. If only they could do enough good, live holy, or engage in the ritual, then God will be pleased with them, or so they think. But again, we ask the question, what do the Scriptures say? The Scriptures are very clear that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. That is Romans 9, 16. If we are to be made right with God, it will not be because of something that we have done, but because of what God has graciously done for us. It all depends upon God's grace. And indeed God has done something for us. He has provided a Savior for a sinful man. This Savior who is Jesus the Christ lived a perfectly righteous life, died a sacrificial death, rose from the grave victoriously, and has ascended to the Father's right hand. This He has done not for Himself only but for His people. This He did so that others might be cleansed of their sins and made right with God. This Righteousness, you see, is not a righteousness that can be earned from man. It is not a righteousness that is within us. None is righteous, no, not one, Paul the Apostle said so clearly. But it is a righteousness that must be received by faith. It is a righteousness that Christ has that must be received by faith. Here again, Paul the Apostle in Romans 3.21, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been "...manifest, it has been made apparent, apart from the law, not through law-keeping, but apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift." How can a person be made right with God is through faith in Jesus the Christ. Nothing else will do. No amount of human will or exertion is able to undo or compensate for our sin against God. But God, by His grace, has taken the initiative to provide a Savior for us. And all must be found trusting in Him and in the work that He has accomplished if we are to be right before God. And what I want for you to see this morning as we consider Genesis chapter 15 is that this has always been the answer to the question. The answer to the question, how can a person be made right with God has always been the same ever since the fall. It has always been the same through faith in the Christ. This was the answer for Adam after he sinned. This was the answer for Abraham as we will see today. And this is the answer for all who are alive uh, to to this present day. And so now let us consider this passage, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, in three parts. And when we do, we will see that Abram's faith was again tested, this time by the passing of time. Second, we will see that God was again faithful to reiterate His promises to Abram to sustain him. And thirdly, we will learn that Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. First of all, notice that Abram's faith was tested again. Uh, This time it had to do with the passing of time. Uh, Remember that God was gracious and kind to Abram when He called him to leave his homeland, to go to a land that He would show him. This the Lord did, not because of something deserving in Abram. It's not as if the Lord looked down from heaven and said, look at how good that man is. I think I will choose him. But according to God's sovereign will and good pleasure alone. We know from elsewhere in Scripture that Abram and his family, they worshipped other gods. They were in a pagan culture and they were wrapped up in it. And God, according to His sovereign will and good pleasure, called Abram to leave his homeland. He called him by grace. And remember that Abram responded in faith at the beginning. He left his home. He followed where the Lord led him. When he came into the land, he publicly worshipped the Lord there and called upon His name. Uh, Truly, Abram was a man of faith. Abram trusted the Lord and he worshipped and served Him in the world. But Abram's faith was tested from time to time. We've seen it already and we will continue to see it as the narrative of Genesis unfolds. He was tested when there was a famine in that land. He was tested when he went down into Egypt. There he was found walking by sight and not by faith when he lied concerning his wife, saying only that she was his sister. Abram was in that instance driven by fear. He was afraid and so he took matters into his own hands and he walked faithlessly in that moment. And here we see that Abram was tested again. This time it was not some crisis or calamity that tested Abram's faith. This test had to do with the passing of time. The delay in the fulfillment of the promises of God caused Abram to wonder, will the Lord do what he has said? God had made some wonderful promises to Abram. You remember the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These are grand promises. And again the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Again, a grand promise. These promises had to do with Abram's possession of the land and his production of many offspring. But there were two problems. One, the land was still occupied by others. And two, Abram and Sarai were still without child. Sarai was barren and these two were well advanced in years and they weren't getting any younger. And so the passing of time was beginning to test Abram's faith. It wasn't some calamity but just the passing of time. And I think there is a point of application for us here. Perhaps you too have been tested in your faith in a similar way. Perhaps there is nothing particularly trying that you can point to. No crisis. But as you have experienced the normal difficulties of life over a long period of time, perhaps you, like Abram, have had your faith tested. Rather than having your faith rocked, yours has been eroded Brothers and sisters, this is why the scriptures everywhere exhort us to persevere in Christ Jesus. The Christian life requires perseverance. Listen to Romans 8:24 through 25, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience or with perseverance. The Christian life Is a life of faith. It involves hope in things not yet seen. And it requires therefore patience. That is to say perseverance. Notice in verse 1 that it was again God who took the initiative with Abram. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This is the very first time in Scripture uh, that we are told a man saw a vision of the Lord. Uh, In times past, the Lord spoke to Abram, but this time the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. This, I think, marks an intensification of the intimacy between Abram and the Lord. And what did the Lord say to Abram in this vision as He spoke to him? He encouraged Abram with the words, Fear not. Now, we know that Abram... Was a man prone to fear. We have already learned this about him. It seems that fear was what led him to lie about Sarai when they went down into Egypt. Can you detect, therefore, the kindness of the Lord towards his people? Do you see how he comes to his people in their weakness? To reassure them and to strengthen them. I'm sure he does the same thing for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Here, Abram is a man prone to fear, and therefore the Lord comes to Abram and says, Fear not, because he knew that he was afraid. Now, why would Abram be afraid in this moment? If you're following along with the narrative, you would think that Abram in this moment would be most confident. In fact, he had just experienced a great victory in battle when he freed Lot and many others from the marauding kings of the east. You remember that episode. We have just learned of it. Shouldn't he have been afraid before that battle and not afterwards? Well, well, consider this though. Now many nations have taken notice of Abram. Whereas before he probably flew under the radar, Well, as before he went unnoticed in the land, now many nations have taken notice of Abram, his wealth and his might. No longer is he lying low in the land of Canaan. Now everyone knows his name. And so I think it's understandable that now, after experiencing this great victory, he feels fear. He is afraid, going, what is this going to now bring upon me? And so the Lord said to Abram, fear not. And he also gave him the reason why he shouldn't be afraid. Fear not, Abram. And then what else is said? I am your shield, Being told not to fear really has no power to it unless a reason is given. Fear not, Abram. And here's why. Because I am your shield. I have just demonstrated not long ago that I am your shield. I protected you and preserved you and gave you the victory that you have just had. And I will continue to be your shield. Brothers and sisters, Abram was not to fear because the Lord was his shield. And you and I are not to fear for the exact same reason. If we belong to the Lord through faith in Christ, He is our shield. And do not forget it, He is God Most High, so we have God Most High as our shield. Everyone who knows the Lord ought to have, I think, the words of Psalm 18 ever in their minds and hearts and even on their lips. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Perhaps you are a person like Abram who is prone to fear. Perhaps it would be good for you to memorize Psalm one eighteen or Psalm eighteen verses one through three, so that you can recite these Lord these words. I love you, Lord. O oh Lord, my strength, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. You are my shield. How important it is for us to remember this always, especially if we are prone to fear. Remember that the Lord is your shield. The Lord is a shield about you. He is your glory. He is the lifter of your head, Psalm 3.3. 3. Not only did the Lord command Abram not to fear, but he, because he was his shield, He also reminded him that his reward would be very great. This was clearly a reminder of all that God had promised Abram in the years past. Your reward, Abram, will be very great. Don't forget it. It was a reminder of all that had been promised to him in years past. But notice that in verse 2, this reminder prompted Abram to reply back to God. And Abram says to the Lord, What will you give me? For I continue childness childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram went on to say, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram's concern was a valid concern, wasn't it, if you put yourself in his shoes? Lord, you have promised to make me into a great nation. You have said that my descendants would be like the dust of the earth, if one could number the dust of the earth. But I continue to walk in this world childless. In fact, it looks like Eliezer of Damascus will be the heir when I die. He will be a legal heir. Will you do this through him, I think was his question. Help me understand, Lord. How do you plan to pull all of this off? This was what was in Abram's mind and heart. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I think we need to take special note of this. The Lord is happy to hear the concerns of His people. He welcomes His people to bring their questions, their concerns... And their burdens to him. To lay them at his feet. We see that modeled here in this text. The Lord brings a word of encouragement to Abram. And Abram says. But, but I, have, I have something to ask you Lord. I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how this is going to work out. Having faith does not mean. That we are without questions or concerns. Questions and concerns. Simply come with the territory. For we humans living In this fallen world, we cannot see the future. And sometimes what we do see does not make sense to us. It makes us wonder. And so walking by faith means that we walk in this world trusting always in the Lord. And sometimes that means we must come to Him honestly to express the troubles we are having in our minds and in our hearts. I want you to know, friends, that He is willing to hear us. And He's also willing to answer us. But notice also the way that Abram expressed himself. Notice his manner. Notice his demeanor. He is respectful. He is reverent in his honesty. After all, it was to God Most High that he was speaking. I've found that it is actually trendy today for Christians to be encouraged, to be honest with the Lord. And what is often meant by that is... That it's okay to, to dump on the Lord, to let it all out in an unrestrained manner. For God is big enough to handle all of our unfiltered honesty. Have you heard this or been exposed to this sort of encouragement? I, I, I've noticed it's a trend today. God is big enough to handle your honesty. Just let Him have it, you know. Let it all out on Him. And while I do not doubt that God is big enough to handle it, I, I, I get it, you're not going to hurt God's feelings with your honesty Um, I do question if this is right. When we come before the Lord, we are permitted to bring our very honest questions, concerns, and burdens to Him. But we should always be careful to express them respectfully, out of reverence for the God to whom we speak, in holiness of speech. And this is what Abram did. He was honest, but notice that he was reverent when he approached the Lord. Secondly, notice that God was again faithful to remind Abram of his promises to him. I say again because the Lord had already reiterated his promises to Abraham multiple times now. And and, and he does the same thing for you and me, brothers and sisters. He has given us his word, but he has also given us his spirit to teach us and to remind us of all that he has said. More than that, he has given us the church so that Lord's Day by Lord's Day we might gather together to hear his word to encourage one another from the Scriptures, to exhort one another to continue in the faith. And and I ask you, aren't you grateful that the Lord is kind to us in this way, that He has given us His promises in His Word, but He continues to walk with us in this world. His Spirit applies the Word to us, to our hearts, and we minister to one another, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. I know this is true for you, as it is true for me. Monday through Saturday, the world can begin to get to you. You can... Grow weary. You can begin to feel beat down by your experiences in this world and your interactions in this world. And to come into the house of the Lord on the Lord's day is a very encouraging and refreshing thing. It is an act of God's grace that He has given to us, His church, so that we might be reminded of the promises of God. It it is in verses 4-5 through of this text that the promises of God are reiterated to Abram. And notice that the Lord also clarified his promises to Abram. So he gets a reminder, but he also gets more. Uh, He gets an expansion and a clarification of the promises of God already made. Verse 4 And behold, the word of the Lord came to him This man, Eliezer of Damascus, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Uh, So, no, Abram, you're going to have a son, he's going to come from your loins. And through him I will do all of these things that I have promised you. The Lord made it very clear that he would fulfill his promises concerning a great nation and many offspring, not through a legal heir like Eliezer of Damascus, but through Abram's very own son, one that would come from his loins. It must have seemed impossible to Abram, naturally speaking. But this was the word of the Lord. And notice that the Lord helped Abram along in his faith by giving him, after that, a visible sign Not only did God give Abram his word to hear, he also gave him something to look at. Verse 5, And the Lord brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. I think it is good for us to use our imaginations here. So can you picture Abram walking outside of his tent late at night? Perhaps the air is cool. Imagine how dark it must have been in those days, with no city lights to pollute uh, the night sky. And imagine how impressive those stars must have been to his eyes. If you have ever looked up at the night sky in a very dark place, away from the lights of the city, you know what I mean. It, it's awe-inspiring. It's, it's kind of overwhelming, in fact. It seems as if it's all stars. There's hardly a, a, a purely dark place there up in the night sky. It's an overwhelming experience. And and God was so kind to Abram that that He attached His promises that were spoken to Him to these stars. Therefore, every time Abram looked up to the night sky from that day forward, he would be reminded of what God had said to him. I'm not sure uh, how much to make of this exactly. But I think it is interesting uh, to note a progression in the text. In Genesis 13, the Lord promised to give Abram many descendants, but there he compared them to the dust of the earth. Do you remember that? They're going to be like the dust of the earth. Um, If you can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Genesis 13, 16. But here the Lord lifts Abram's eyes away from the earth and to the heavens. The message is really the same. You will have many descendants. That's the point. But The eyes of Abram are here lifted heavenward as if God were saying, trust in me, the God of heaven and earth. Also, you need to get used to this idea, for it is undoubtedly true, Abram, who will be called Abraham shortly, must be considered in a double capacity if we are to understand him correctly. The scriptures are very clear about this in Abram, there really are two covenants and two peoples. In Abram there is what will become the covenant of grace which is a covenant of promise and there is also the covenant of circumcision as we will see which is a covenant of works. And if you don't believe me on this point or if you want to explore this more because I'm going to move on from it quickly read Galatians 3 and 4 sometime. It's what it says. In Abram there are two peoples, one natural and one spiritual. He must be considered in this double capacity. Uh, what I mean by it is this, many will come from Abram's loins according to the flesh. He will have many physical descendants. These are his natural offspring. But there will also be many who come from Abram, who have Abram's faith, who descend not only perhaps from his loins according to the flesh, and these are his spiritual descendants. And so Abram will have a natural fleshly heritage, and he will also have a spiritual and heavenly heritage. Read very carefully Paul's letter to the Romans and his letter to the Galatians along with the rest of the New Testament if you don't believe me on this. Abraham must be considered in this double capacity. He's going to, these promises that were given to him had, Kind of a twofold meaning to them. He would have a natural heritage, natural descendants. They would become the nation of Israel and circumcision would be given to all the males in that nation. But he would also have a spiritual heritage. Only some in that nation would have the faith of Abram. And be blessed in that sense along with Abram. Spiritually blessed to all eternity. Only some in that nation that came from his loins would have his faith. That is why the New Testament says not all Israel is Israel. Paul makes this clear. And add to this uh, this fact that many who were not of Israel according to the flesh, Gentiles, would be of Abram. Not according to the flesh but according to to, to the Spirit. And Maybe I'm making too much of this, I will admit it, but I can't help but wonder if the two visible things that God attached to His promises for Abram do not correspond to these two kinds of offspring. The dust corresponding to the natural and earthly descendants and the stars to the heavenly and spiritual. More on that another time. For now... Just see that God was again faithful to remind Abram of his promises. Promises pertaining to many offspring through his natural son who would be as numerous as the stars in heaven. Thirdly and lastly, let us see that Abram believed the Lord and we are told he counted it to him as righteousness. This is what verse 6 says, And Abram believed the Lord and he, that is the Lord, counted it to Abram as righteousness. This is a very important verse. As I said before, the New Testament scriptures make much of this verse. And we would be wise, I think, to settle here for just a little bit. Certainly Abram had faith prior to this moment. He demonstrated faith when he walked out of his homeland to journey toward the land that God would show him. That he did because he believed the Lord. Why then, in this, why then is there this declaration... Reserved for this moment. Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Did not Abram have faith previously? Was he not made righteous prior to this event? Honestly it's hard to know for sure. But one thing that we do know is that in this moment Abraham had saving faith. Perhaps it was in this moment after hearing the promises of God once more and after looking up into the heavens that Abram really got it. Here we are told, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. What what does it mean that Abram believed? What does that mean? To believe is to trust. And notice that Abram believed the Lord. His trust was in a person, wasn't it? His trust was in God. He believed not only a message, but the Lord himself. Abram believed the Lord. And, And I wonder, do you have that kind of faith? Do you believe the Lord? Are you trusting in Jesus the Christ? What I am saying is that it is possible, I suppose, to trust in all kinds of things, even things that are truly associated with a Christian religion, and to not trust in the Lord. Some trust in their pure doctrine, I think. Others trust in their religious devotion. And still others trust in their obedience to God's commands. All of those things are good things, but they are not what we are to trust in. We are to trust in the Lord, and that is what I am asking you. Do you trust in the Lord, who is behind all of that? Our, fa- our faith must sink its roots down into Him. If it is to be true and saving faith, it must be faith in a person, belief in God and in the Christ whom He has sent. Also notice that Abram believed in the promises of God. When we read that Abram believed the Lord, it has obvious reference to the words that God had just delivered to him. And again, I wonder, do you have that kind of faith? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe in His Word? Do you listen to the Holy Scriptures and say yes and amen to them? It is truly astonishing to me to hear of so many who call themselves Christians, who refuse to believe that which God has said. They claim to have faith, but they will not receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save their souls, James 1.21. To have true and saving faith, faith that makes one right before God, we must believe what God has said. Lastly, know for certain that when the scriptures say that Abram believed the Lord, it means that Abram ultimately placed his faith in the Christ who would one day emerge from amongst his people. The entire narrative of Genesis alludes to this fact. But the New Testament Scriptures make it so abundantly clear that when Abram believed, he believed in the Lord and he believed in the promises that God had made, but he believed ultimately in the Christ that would one day come from his loins. This was clearly Paul's view. If we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, then we see that this is so. When he was urging the Galatians to continue in the faith, the Christians in the region of Galatia. He urged them to believe, and I am quoting here, just as Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he said this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. This is important to notice. He did not say that it is those who have descended from his loins and of the flesh who are of the true sons of Abraham, but he says it is those who have the faith of of Abraham, the the faith of Abraham, who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, listen carefully, brothers and sisters, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is what Paul is saying. The same gospel that Paul preached, the gospel concerning the forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus, the Christ, was preached to Abram long before the Christ was ever born. The gospel message was less clear back then, no doubt about it. It was more mysterious. But the gospel of the Christ was present in the world and it was this gospel that Abram believed. That is what the scriptures say. Abram, when he believed in the Lord, put his faith in the Christ ultimately in the Savior that would one day be provided according to the promises of God. This was also Jesus' view. It was not just Paul's. When disputing with the Jews in John chapter 8, he says some offensive things there, by the way. You can read it for yourself sometime. But he made this astonishing claim. He said, your father Abraham, he's speaking to the Jewish people now, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He rejoiced that he would see my day and he saw it and was glad. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that Abraham understood What God was promising to him had to do with the arrival, the eventual arrival of the Christ. And Abram, in his day, rejoiced in that. He saw it, not with his natural eyes, of course, but with eyes of faith. According to Jesus, Abraham had his eyes fixed not only on the physical land, not only on a physical seed, natural descendants, but Abram had his eyes fixed upon the Christ who had come from his loins. He understood that these promises from God were really about Christ and the people from every tongue, tribe, and nation who would be redeemed by Him and who would be brought safely into the heavenly Jerusalem. This is what Hebrews chapter 11, verses 10 and following also teaches. All of this is meant when the text says that Abram believed God. He trusted in God. He believed His word, His faith, was in the Christ who would come from his loins. And then we read these critically important words, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Notice that the text does not say that the Lord saw that Abram was righteous. It is not what it says. That would be entirely different. The Lord noticed that Abram was righteous. That is not what the text says. It does not say that this proved that Abram was righteous. Abram did not have a righteousness of his own prior to this moment. Instead, the text says, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. This means that the Lord gave Abram something that he did not have before, namely, righteousness. When Abram believed the Lord, Abram was made right with God. Paul makes much of this in Romans 4, the text we have read previously. He actually uses this to prove that Abram was justified or counted as righteous, not by law-keeping, but by grace alone, through faith alone. He makes much of the fact that this episode, wherein Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness, he makes much of the fact that this episode took place before Abram was circumcised. The chronology matters greatly. Just as the chronology concerning Melchizedek mattered greatly, Melchizedek came before Aaron and Levi. It matters greatly pertaining to our understanding of the Christian faith. This episode took place before Abram was circumcised. Abram will receive the sign of circumcision in Genesis 17, but we are in Genesis 15. And to you and I, this might seem like a very minor and insignificant detail. But if you understand the significance of circumcision and the nature of the covenant of which it was a seal, then you would agree with Paul that the order of things is indeed very important. Listen again to Paul in Romans 4. After talking about the blessings of having our sins covered and forgiven, he then asks, is this blessing, the blessing of the forgiveness of sins, then only for the circumcised? Is it only for the Jew? (laughs) Or also for the uncircumcised, that is for the non-Jew? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? He asked the question, was it before or after he was circumcised? This matters. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. He was already made righteous. And then afterwards he was circumcised. And then here is what Paul says. Notice these words. The purpose. What's the reason for this order of things? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. He is the father of the Gentile who has faith, in other words. That's the purpose of this order of things in the text. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised, the father of the the Jew, that is, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Paul says this is a big deal, the order of things. He was declared righteous prior to circumcision, proving that Abraham is to be considered in this double capacity. He is both the father of a natural people who will descend from his loins, but he is also the father of a spiritual people, both Jew and Gentile alike, if they have the faith of Abraham, then they are the true children of Abraham. This is so important. Paul proves from this little narrative in Genesis 15 that our right standing before God, and here it is, brothers and sisters, if you've been lost all along, listen to this. Our right standing before God depends... Not on our ethnicity, not on our keeping of the law of Moses, of which circumcision is a sign, nor of our participation in ceremony, but it is received by grace alone, through faith alone. This, he says, has always been the case. And it has always been the case for the Jews and also for the Gentiles alike. In fact, the reason Abram was counted as righteous when he believed upon the Lord prior to his circumcision was so that no one would get the wrong idea about how a person could be made right with God. My friends, salvation has always been by grace alone through faith alone. To this established order, to this established order, the law of Moses was added. To this established order, the law of Moses was added. Circumcision was given to the Hebrew people, the Mosaic law was imposed upon them, but all of that came second. Before that, it was firmly established that the way to be right with God was through faith in the Lord, in His promises and in the Christ that He would send. The old Mosaic covenant would be established with Israel, but it would not do away with the order that had been established previously. This is what Paul teaches in Galatians 3:19. "Why then the law?" he asks. If this is all true, that salvation is by faith alone, why the law, referring to the law of Moses? Why the law? Why was the law of Moses in the Old Covenant given, of which circumcision was a sign, if indeed our right standing before God was received by faith alone, as in the days of Abram prior to his circumcision? His answer is this, it was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come, to whom the promise had been made. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God, Paul asks? That is a good question, isn't it? Are these two things, the law of Moses and the gospel, that was preached previously at odds with one another? Do they conflict? And his answer, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If it were possible to be righteous before God by keeping a law, then a law, that law would have been given. But the Scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Galatians 3.19-22 The law and the gospel sweetly comply. To quote our confession, chapter 19, paragraph 7. They sweetly comply. They work together. The law of Moses and circumcision which signified it set the Hebrew people off from the rest of the world so that through them the Christ would be born into the world. The law also magnified sin. The law showed us our sin and it drives us to Christ. This law was added. It was set down on top of a previously existing order, namely the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to the one who has faith in Him. Are you trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? If not, then you are not right with God. You're still in your sins. For this is the only way to have your sins forgiven and to be made righteous. It is by faith in Christ alone. You must be found in Him. You must be found clothed in His righteousness, as Abram was in this moment Friends, do you have the faith of Abram? That is what I am asking you. Your ethnicity does not matter at all. Even if you are a purebred descendant of Abraham according to the flesh, I still ask you, do you have the faith of Father Abraham? Those who descended from Abraham according to the flesh, they enjoyed many blessings. I am here referring to the Jewish people. They had many blessings in this world. Paul, reflecting on these earthly blessings, said, "...they are Israelites, and to them belong many wonderful things." Those are my words. "...to them belong the adoption," he says, "...the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship." And the promises, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. What a what a privilege to have all of that given and preserved amongst their people. What a blessing that is. But notice that the forgiveness of sins and life eternal was not one of those blessings. For Paul goes on to say in that same passage, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means, Paul says, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Are you following with Him? To be a descendant of Abraham, naturally speaking, does not make you a child of God. But it is the children of promise who are counted as offspring. And who are they? They are those who have the faith of Father Abraham. So do you have the faith of Abraham? This question must be pressed upon Jews and Gentiles alike. For it is only by faith. Faith like Abram's faith. Faith in the gospel of Christ that men and women are made right before God. The Jewish people must be urged to believe upon Christ how much more the Gentiles. For again Paul says, and with this we close, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, again we must give you thanks for the grace that you have shown to us in Christ Jesus. It's a marvelous thing to consider that this grace and this gospel was present in the world. Though mysterious then, it was there even in the days of Adam and Abram. God, how much more are we blessed to live in this age after the arrival of the Christ? We thank you for your mercy and grace. Help us to believe upon Christ sincerely and purely and firmly. Help us also to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to all who will listen to us. We pray that your Spirit would go forth in power to bring many sons to glory, that many would be found in Abram, in Abraham's bosom, uh, trusting in Christ the way that he did. Uh, Father, help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.